Welcome to It's a Good Life podcast, where it's all about helping entrepreneurs think, feel, and do better. In case you missed it, Brian shared his bold predictions for the 2024 real estate market, and you can head over to itsagoodlife.com to check it out. In the meantime, here's Brian. Well, the top of the morning to you, and welcome to It's a Good Life. Today, we have a very special guest for you, a man I've known for about 15 years, Mr. John Acuff. And John is not only a New York Times bestselling author of nine books, by the way, brilliant, brilliant writer. He's also become one of the most sought-after speakers in the country. And in fact, we had to work our magic to get him to be one of our keynote speakers at our Peak Experience in Colorado Springs this year. We're celebrating our 20th anniversary of the Peak Experience. We're going to be at the Broadmoor Resort and uh, sold out, packed house. And we are so excited to have John there. As we've launched this year, we've been talking about goals, and John's newest book is called All It Takes is a Goal, and it's fantastic. It's a three-step plan to ditch regret and tap into your massive potential. Sounds like it's made for Buffini and Company audience. It's a fresh approach to goals, and I've been doing this for almost 30 years, and I haven't really seen many fresh approaches. This really is one, so John, we're delighted to have you. Brilliant job on the book, and as a guy who's been teaching goals for 30 years, and it's hard to find a, a new wrinkle, a new science. Boy, I've seen this, and it absolutely works. This is great stuff. So welcome to the show, and, and congratulations on the book. Thank you so much. I can't, I can't wait to spend time with you at Peak Experience. I think that's going to be amazing. So I feel like I'm getting two gifts. <laughs> well, let's give people a gift today. Let's launch right in. Your book, All It Takes is a Goal, centers around the idea of tapping into your potential. So let's start there. You know, for you, how do you define potential to start with? Sure. My definition is it's the gap between your vision and your reality. So the vision of how you thought life would be and the reality of how it is right now. And I love to take a positive spin on that because what often happens is people see this gap and they feel shame. They feel stuck. They don't know what to do. And I say, no, if the gap is massive, that just means you have massive potential. And there's ways you can work to close that gap, to overlap that. I think life, you say it's a good life. I think it's a good life when the vision of what you know you're capable of, of who you were meant to be, overlaps with how you're spending your Tuesday or overlaps with how you're spending your Friday. So that's how I define potential. Well, it's interesting. And again, brothers from different mothers on this content. And that's why I think we're going to have so much fun at peak. You know, in 27 years and 2,500 seminars, I've asked every audience I've ever presented to, How many of you feel like you have some untapped potential? And every hand goes up. Every single hand goes up. And I always say, okay, and what are we waiting on? The part of it is it's almost like, well, it's my choice. And the, the old phrase, you can't take it with you, is always referred to money and possessions. But you can't take your potential with you. Like once you go in the pine box, boom, it's over. And all those choices and all those things are gone. And yet... You know, Henry David Thoreau, most people live quiet lives of, you know, desperation. You've gone a little further and done some research on this subject and really dug into getting some data and some greater sense of how much, first of all, how much potential people are not using and what they're doing. Why is it that so many people don't tap into their potential? Why do we often look in the wrong place for it in the first place? Well, I always tell people the only thing easier in the world than doing a goal is not doing a goal. Um, you know, and goals are hard because Instagram is easy. 
Goals are hard because Netflix is easy. We haven't really recognized that our distraction technology has scaled faster than our ability to focus. So I always tell people up front, hey, give yourself a little bit of grace. You're not recognizing that there's a whole industry they're invested in you not tapping into your potential. Like DoorDash would rather you sit on your couch. One is it's really challenging culturally. There's a cultural hypnosis that's happened where people have said, you know, it's somebody else's fault. There's victimhood. There's blame. There's all these kind of cultural things you're being hypnotized about. And then the other thing is that sometimes people just don't know what they want. I mean, Brian, I guarantee you and I feel the same way about desire, that if you have, if you tap into desire, you'll run through a wall. If you don't have the desire, you won't do the smallest task. Finding an envelope will go, oh, I can't find an envelope. I can't do thank you notes like find a stamp like so when you can you know find that desire so for me the way I look at it is nobody wakes up one day and goes I'm gonna be disciplined today I'm gonna have willpower I'm gonna be persistent I'm gonna have grit nobody wakes up that way what they do is they find a sliver of something they want they experience they bump into it often stumble into it and they go I want more of that. How do I get more of that? And then once you have that, you look at your time like logs and it's, you can't throw enough of those into the fire that's going. Like you start going, I want more hours. I always tell people, I want you to have a desire you love so much. It makes Netflix boring. And people go, well, that can never happen. Oh, it happens. Like it, it, it happens. You're decades into seeing it with thousands of people. So I think that's part of it. They don't know what they want and they don't feel connected to it. And then they, they, they miss that fuel. And what a miss it is. You know, my mentor, Jim Rohn, used to say, if you have the desire, you'll find a way. And if you don't have the desire, you'll find an excuse. Perfect. And, you know, it's interesting. I'm 30 years into this. I actually drove into the studio today. I'm an old U2 guy, and they came from Ireland, and my sister worked for them. And so I had the music desire on playing. And I'm, I was laughing. I had the windows down. I'm going a little faster than I should. I got the U2 blaring. And I said to myself, what's wrong with you? You're 56 years of age. You've been all over kingdom come. I'm a goal setter and I've checked off so many boxes and I'm living in a space today of God's providence where I'm living in a spot of of beyond my goals. You know what I mean? But I'm more driven and more focused and more fired up than I've ever been, than I've ever been. And I also find it somewhat intimidating when I come in contact with people because people have become so addicted to the comfort zone. The comfort zone is now you know, stay at home, eat at home, Netflix at home, smoke pot, work from home, and everything's just gone down. We just had a, a, a leadership conference uh, last uh, September, and we had thousands of leaders from all over there. And I said, you know, we have the best people we've ever had as a company, but we're not as good as we used to be because people are working from home, the distractions are everywhere, and there's a fight. And like you said, there's an actual fight for your attention. There's a fight for your drive. There's a fight for your desire. And there's an enemy against you reaching your your full potential. And it's more so than ever before. So in your book, you point out that it's often easier to set meaningful goals by looking at your past than your future. This is how I believe, but I've often thought it was wrong. I've often thought I'm too preoccupied with the past. And when I read your book, I went, hallelujah. (laughs) Hang on a second here. So tell me why you think that, because I've had doubts about that for myself. Yeah, you have doubts because we're taught the opposite. So what we're taught is... If you want a big life, if you want a good life, you have to dream about what the next 20 years look like. And you have to vision cast, future cast, whatever. But in my experience, as I taught people about goals, as I as I spoke at companies about goals, 
when somebody would try to dream forward, they would hit what I call a vision wall where they would go, I can't step forward until I know the perfect 10-year plan. And I think personally, it's a misinterpretation or a mutation of great books like Stephen Covey's Seven Habits that says, begin with the end in mind. What happened is people have interpreted that as, I can't begin until I know the end perfectly. Or Simon Sinek, start with why. They've misinterpreted that too. Until I know my why, I can't try. I have a neighbor who spent six months trying to figure out his why so that one day he could start. And I don't like a why. I like a life full of whys. Who has one why? I have 50 whys. There's 50 things that chase me out of bed in the morning with joy. So I think for me, the flip became where I said, okay, I can't dream forward. The question, what do I want to do with my life paralyzes me. So what if I looked back and just made a list? I started in an airport in Augusta, Georgia and said best moments that I've experienced. And then I thought I'll write 10 things, 20 things down. I wrote 170 things down. And it taught me gratitude because it reminded me of things I'd forgotten. Two, it taught me self-awareness. If you ask your head and your heart to Google things from your past, they start looking in your present too. You can't help but be in a moment and have that. You had a best moment today. You were driving to work. The windows are down. You too is on like, that was a micro best moment. And then the third thing, everyone I taught this to, because I taught it to hundreds of people before I put it in a book, everyone had this moment where you automatically go, I want more of that. I want, like, some of it happened accidentally. I want it to intentionally happen. I want more. And it becomes this flip from a review of your past into a plan for your future. And it becomes this really helpful life plan. And that's what I saw again and again and again. But we're told things like, don't look back, you're not going that way. There's all this terrible Instagram motivation advice that I'm sure you laugh about too. People say, sometimes you got to jump and grow wings on the way down. I think that's not how gravity ever works. (laughs) That's a terrible plan. So I think we just get a lot of broken advice and we assume we're supposed to dream forward and then we get stuck. Well, and also, you know, there's a bit more complexity to things, you know, than what you can get on an Instagram post. And like you said, I mean, I talked to a guy the other day who's in his past has been super productive. And we started having conversations about things and where he spends his day. And I had a mentor named Dr. Alex Lackey who said, hey, break it down every 15 minutes. And so I had this guy do the exercise. And Instagram was a huge part of his day. And this is a guy who'd really built some things. You go through life, you take a few hits. It's just easy to check out into these things. And so for me, you know, we've put more than 3 million people in live seminars through the physical act of goal writing. And we've seen the lights come on. We've coached the people then behind us. And if you're a peak experience and you say to the audience, how many of you have written a goal here at this event and have achieved this goal? Every single hand in the room will go up. And you've gotten into a very nice rhythm that I see of these three types of goals. And it's very exciting for me because, you know, I've pummeled this content for 27 years. And to find something fresh that's actually legit, that I know is grounded in principles, but also fabulous technique with a new insight. And I'd love you to kind of dig into those three types of goals. Sure. Yeah. So here's what happens with a lot of people when it comes to goals. Imagine a ladder and it's a 12 foot tall ladder and it only had two rungs. That's how people approach goals. They go, I want to start a business. That's the tippity top rung. Or I want to write a book. And then the only other rung they have is the very, very bottom that says day one. And if I gave you that ladder and said, Brian, here's a ladder, it's 12 feet tall, two rungs, one at the very bottom, one at the very top, good luck. You couldn't get to the top. You couldn't jump 12 feet in the air and do the world's worst pull-up. So what I like to do is go, what if I gave you a ladder with rungs every six inches? Could you climb that? Could you figure out how to get to the top? You could. And so 
the goal ladder, as I call it, like you think about, you know, effort and time. As I climb up, I'm giving more effort, more time. But let's start with some easy goals. What are some easy ways to get into that? Because I, I talk in the book that there's the comfort zone, but there's also the chaos zone. You've seen people just like I have. They come to an event, they catch it, they read a book and they go, I'm going to change it all this weekend. And they they ricochet from the comfort zone all the way into the chaos zone. And it's not sustainable and they get burned out. And then that's why we have the phrase yo-yo diet in this country. People yo-yo back and forth. So you start with some easy goals and you start to test them. Like let's test the desire. I audition desires all the time. Brilliant. What a brilliant phrase. Audition. I love that. Yeah. So like in January, you don't know what you want to do all year yet. So it's impossible to set a New Year's resolution. It's really fun to test some desires, audition some desires and go, I'm going to try this for a week. Try it for two weeks. I'm going to take some notes. I'm going to pay attention. And then one of these is going to be a front runner. Like one of these is going to start to shine and I'm going to do a middle goal. I'm going to expand it a little. I'm going to have some money invested. I'm going to have some time invested. And then you climb and climb and climb. And eventually you get to a spot where it's a guaranteed goal. It's a phrase I love using because people don't think it exists. People go, there's no such guarantee, such a thing as guaranteed goals. But Brian, I couldn't have put that in my first book, but I can put that idea in my ninth because I've used it. When people say, how have you written nine books? Well, it's a, it's a system. It's not magic. Like, here's the problem. Excellence is boring and people don't like to hear that, but the reality is it is. It's all these little things. And so when they say, how do you write books? And I go, well, I, I do easy goals and I do middle goals and I do guaranteed goals. And, and eventually like I'm guaranteed to achieve that. Like once I get to the middle of the ladder, there's nothing stopping me. Once I'm in the middle of the ladder, like here we go, this is happening. And so that's been really fun to help people kind of walk through that process versus thinking you have to go from nothing to accomplishing everything. But what if you could actually climb the ladder and you even enjoy the ladder while you're doing it? Well, we know mastery requires peaks and plateaus. And we're a coaching company, so we take people. We have the privilege of going, when somebody sets a goal, we get to come alongside them and wrestle through. Oh, my gosh, I had the big breakthrough. I'm riding high in April. And then here comes the sucky flat part where it looks like you're not making any progress. You're chipping away. And, you know, it's interesting you talk about from starting out here with you got the excited goal, the easy goal, I'm fired up, and then I go to chaos. You know, we call that Moses coming down the mountain, right? So they write the two tablets of stone. The Rocky music's playing. I'm 300 pounds. I'm going to run a marathon. You know, I saw Dick and Ricky Hoyt. I got inspired by the Ironman videos. And then I went to church and they showed the same video. It must be a sign. I'm going to run a marathon. And and we're like, okay, great. That that Okay, that's where you want to go. But goal number one, how about walk a mile? Or buy shoes. How about buy sneakers that are good for your feet? And you're like, that's too easy. It doesn't count. It's got to be harder. And you go, drink water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the other dynamic I think that's against that is we have how to become a millionaire in, in 1995. You know, we are bombarded with and, and candidly bombarded with people that haven't been there and done that. And we're no longer have enough skepticism to ask, well, where are you coming from to give me this advice? Like you just said something. I can give this advice now in my ninth book that I couldn't give in my first book. I've also done how many hundreds of talks and tested this content out and given it to people and then also lived it out yourself with some research and with some homework behind it. And we no longer ask, who's given me this advice? Like, what have they ever done? Oh, they're an Instagram influencer. They're 23 years of age. I, You know, uh, right now the real estate market's gone through a real transition. And I was with these leaders the other day, and there was an article came out in the Wall Street Journal. And 
I turned to my staff when this article was presented to me, and I said, Google that person. I said, Google that. I'm telling you that's a 25-year-old who wrote that article. They've never been, I've been through about nine real estate cycles. I said, Google them. I guarantee you they're, un, they're way under 30. They've never been around. They probably don't even own a house. So sure enough, here comes this sparkly face who wrote a brilliant headline that scared the crap out of a thousand of the most influential leaders in an entire industry because nobody asks anymore, who's writing it? And what experience do you have? So that also then comes into this whole area of personal growth and development, which is phenomenal. So we have our three types of goals, easy, middle, guaranteed. Who doesn't love that? One of the concepts I like that, you know, certainly been down the path on is the whole turning goals into games. You know, we take these baby steps, we get the ball rolling, but turning the goals into games, I think when you said, hey, I'm in the middle of the ladder, I'm going to go get there. I think this goals to games can keep people going when they're at the middle of the ladder to go further. Can you talk to that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. I I just tell people you've got a BYOH. You have to bring your own hype. You have to, motivation isn't a checkbox. It's a practice. And so for me, a game is one of those things that keeps me motivated. So if I can say, wow, okay, let me, I'll give you an example. I decided one time I I thought, you know what? I want to be a better friend. I'm feeling a little isolated. When you're an entrepreneur, you can get really isolated really quickly because one, it's a weird job. You know, the things you're dealing with, the money you're making, ups and downs. It's hard to talk to a neighbor who has a standard job. You feel disconnected. So I said, I want to be a better friend. How do I make that a game? And I said, okay, I'm going to encourage one person every day for 30 days in a row. I'm going to, every day I'm going to text a friend and I made a list before because I did, I wanted it to be easy. I didn't want to get to the middle and go, oh, it's Tuesday. Who should I encourage? I didn't say I'd write him a handwritten letter with a quill pen. Like I didn't make it hard. And I said, I'm going to text somebody. And there wasn't a single person that said, I wish you hadn't sent me that today. Like today was the worst day. 90% said, you, you have no idea how much I needed that. So I was guaranteed to be a better friend at the end of those 30 days. And so then I said, I want to be a better husband, better dad. What if I did that with one of my kids? I just encouraged her 30 days in a row about something that I see in her. Like at the end of that 30 days, would I have been a better dad in that moment? Yes. Yeah. So what I love to do is say, how can this be a game? How can this be fun? And games have consistent things, Brian. Games have scores. I guarantee so many people that you've interacted with, they tell you a goal and you immediately go, well, how are you going to measure that? What are the finish lines? How are you going to keep that in track? So games have scores. Games have, you know, competition with them. Milestones. They have opponents. Like, I love that you and I are both on the same page as far as like, you have, it's hard because it's, there's a lot of people fighting against your time. Like the number one goal of a lot of companies is your attention. So that's why the best programmers in the entire world that have ever lived are thinking about your time because that's their metric. And so you have a competitor that you're dealing with. So I think through a lot of my goals that way because then I stay motivated. What happens is people think they find motivation and it'll last the whole goal. And in my opinion, motivation is the flightiest thing in the world. The day the work shows up, the motivation takes off. And so what I tell people, build a motivation portfolio. I want you to have 10, 20, 30 things that motivate you. Because on some days, 10 of them won't even move the needle. And you're going to have to get to number 14 and go, okay, this is the thing. It's the accountability today. Like there's other days where it will be music. You listen to a song today. So I, I really think of a game as an extreme form of motivation that'll keep me going when the goal gets boring, when the goal gets hard. Like it, every goal is boring in the middle. Every goal is challenging and disappointing in the middle. Every half marathon I've ever run by mile 11, I said, 
why do people keep letting me sign up for these? This is the <laughs> dumbest thing. Now, when I'm w- walking back to my car after, I got the endorphins. I feel great. But at mile 11, I'm like, this is stupid. What am I doing? I'm 47. I don't need to prove anything. Like, I'm talking myself out of doing it. But I know that's going to happen, so I'm prepared for it. That is so funny. We are living parallel lives. I had a two-year span. I ran a half marathon every month somewhere. And the one that broke me, there's one in Sedona. And it's kind of half through Red Rocks Park. And it's rough ground and it's dirt. And you're eating people's dirt in front of you and everything else. And I remember, and I didn't get to mile 11. I'm going, what in the world is going on here? Doesn't anybody love me enough to tell me not to do this? Exactly. And when I finished, someone gave me a t-shirt and said, congratulations, you just finished the hardest half marathon in the world. And I went, I did? (laughs) And I was bitching (laughs) and moaning the whole time. (laughs) Of course, of course. You know, you talked about motivation. One of the things in your book, you talked about the four fuels the goals run on. And I really just like, I like how you approach. I, you know, you've got the motivational piece with the scientific approach and then the ability to write it well. Maybe you could talk about the four fuels because like you said, we need multiple motivators. We need multiple sources of fuel to get across the finish line. Yeah, exactly. And, and that came from, I, I had run out of fuel. Um, I signed a big book deal and my wife said to me, I don't think it's going to work. And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, you're a jerk for the two years when you write a book and you're a jerk for the two years when you sell it. And I'd rather you be a happy plumber than a miserable writer. And she was really telling me that for me, I got to the spot where I had an ad agency fail and I saved the day at the very last second. And, and the agency still closed. So the business still failed, but I saved this one relationship and I, I learned something in that moment. I can function in a crisis. That's a good thing to learn. But over time, it mutated into I function best in a crisis. And then over time, it turned into I need a crisis to function. And I'd become the type of leader, the type of entrepreneur that was great at putting out fires. But when there weren't any fires, I felt worthless. So I started new fires. And now you're not a leader, you're an arsonist. And so I really had to change my own fuel because for me to get to the levels I want to get to, stress, anger, um, trying to prove myself to strangers, all of those things, they had launched me. They had given me a little bit of distance, but they weren't sustainable. Then I started meeting you know, entrepreneurs in their 60s, 70s, 80s that had accomplished amazing things, but were hollow. Like they didn't have a full life. They didn't love what they were doing. They had lost the joy of it a long time ago. So I started to really study what does a sustainable fuel look like? And you start to notice things like impact, that having an impact, um, you know, sustains people, that the craft, that, you know, writing the best book you can possibly do or the business, you know, running the business a certain way. You can see great businesses where you'd go, you can tell they care about the craft of the product they're producing. Um, and then the stories, that story can be, can, can be a motivator too, you know, relationships can be a fuel. So I just started to try to find what are the fuels I see that people use for long-term sustainable success. And then where can I add more of those in my life? Like, and craft, for me, craft is one that motivates me. I really care about the book. I care about, because people say you could do books faster if you, you know, had a ghostwriter or if you had a whole team writing them. But for me, I care about the craft. I want to know, you know, where each word is going. How did you go from being the crabby book writer where the wife and kids are miserable? Oh, dad's got a new book. Let's hide in the basement. How did you turn that around? Oh, that's such a good way to say it. That's got a new book, Hide in the Basement. Um, I, I'd say I, I, I did it through practice. I think so much of this is practice. Like we look at the peaks and valleys, but there's so much of that practice in between. So it started slowly. Um, it started, you know, with hearing my wife. There's times in my marriage where 
she would tell me something that was true and it took me a week of being grumpy to finally come back around and go, okay, I think you're right. So like the first step was like acknowledging that she had said that, like hearing her, like saying, yeah, I agree with that. I can see what you mean there. Um, some of it was going to a performance coach. You know, I, you know, I love that Roy Williams says there's some things that are hard for us to see in ourselves because it's like trying to read the label from inside the bottle. So you need other people that will go that that are brave enough to hold up a mirror and go, hey, is this who you want to be? And then you get you get to make the choice of, yes, it is. I'm going to keep going down that path or no, you're you're right. That's not who I want to be. So uh, working with a performance coach was helpful um, and then starting to really be deliberate about where I was putting my time. And so I had a friend say this to me about craft. He said, I always ask myself, am I doing it from love or for love? The thing I'm creating, is it from love? I've got it inside me. Like you couldn't stop helping entrepreneurs if you wanted to. Like you are pouring out something you love doing. That's, and when people are around you, like there's not an end to that. Like, so I guarantee you've had people say, well, Brian, you've already done this, this, and this. You've accomplished your goals. You've made the money. Like when are you going to stop? And that's a crazy question to somebody who feels like they're pouring out love. It's like, when will you stop breathing? When will you stop? smiling you i'm not hopefully never like um and so he said i asked myself am i doing it from love or for love because for love is where i'm trying to get something from it that i to fill me that's not going to really fill me and so it was a it was a period of time of doing a bunch of different steps a bunch of different work and then also recognizing when it came back because that's the thing it is a practice so i'd love to tell you i figured out anger or i figured out stress or i figured out but I, I'm not one of these, I hear people all the time go, you should be fearless. And I just think that's not true because every time you do something new, there's a new level of fear and you work on it. It's like, if I'm not going to be fearful ever, then, then why do I need faith? Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, all those kinds of things. And look, what you're describing, look, we're right up for each other's alley here in, in this communication because, you know, obviously I run a coaching company for a reason. You know, we have an army of these people and what does it take? It takes hard work. It takes a grind. But it ultimately takes like I have something in my heart and mind that I really want to do or be. And I want to see improvement and change in that area. And I'm willing to pay the price. And that's why all of a sudden it is harder. Like it's like, oh, no. Like there's been so many shows, whether it's Netflix or TV, that came, had a nine-year run and left. And I never saw an episode of. And people are like, what's wrong with you? And I go, I just got things that really light me up. And Suits isn't one of them. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, it's doing nothing for me. That is not you. And you know, like I always tell people, you have a heart barometer. You know when something's filled you or emptied you. Like, so if you leave Instagram after three hours of scrolling, do you feel renewed and refreshed? Nobody says, oh, that was worth it. That was worth it. I definitely feel it filled me up. Like nobody. And so then you have to go, well, then why am I doing it? And what could I do instead? And what do I want to change? And so that I think that's the thing is that once you find some of that, you can't help but do it. Like you love peak experience. Like that's a celebration moment. Like I'm sure there's a ton of hard work, a ton of stress that goes into that, but it's also a celebration because again, you're pouring out something you care about. Well, for someone like myself, who's 30 years teaching and living with goals, it's been a long time since I was reinvigorated and excited about someone's new take on goals. When Danny brought me the book, I went, really? Do I really have anything to learn on goals? And it was just fabulous fabulously well done. I appreciate that. Hopefully the family got to experience the joy of it because the book is fabulous. For those of you, obviously our peak experience event is sold out and there's only a thousand people there, but there's 400,000 of you listening to this podcast today. And I would highly recommend you start your year off with one of the best books, if not the best book I've ever read on goals, All It Takes is a Goal. 
And John, you're a masterful writer and you've presented it beautifully. I do want to finish up. I, I do five rapid fire questions with every guest. Sure. And I just love to throw it out and give a little different take on who John Acuff is for our audience. So first and foremost, what's the single best piece of advice you've ever been given? Uh, I think that my dad once told me, he said, always keep people around you who aren't on your payroll. He said, there's a, there's, you know, you need honest people that'll tell you the truth. And where I've interpreted, I've interpreted that in my own life, that leaders who can't be questioned end up doing questionable things. So you show me a company that fell, you show me a church that imploded, I'll show you a leader who couldn't be questioned. So to deliberately be in deep relationships where somebody loves you enough to tell you something you might not want to hear. Brilliant. Brilliant advice. Uh, which one talent or gift do you wish you possessed that you currently don't? Is height a talent? I feel like that, you know, like, I don't know if it's a talent, but I know it's not one I have. Um, so yeah, I think... I think height, and then I think just, I, you know, you think about something I don't know how to do well. I think if I could video edit quickly, it'd be, it'd really help a lot of the ideas I share spread even further. All right. Well, we're going to have to hire someone for that. Yes, that's great. Uh, what book has been most instrumental in your life? Uh, the War of Art has been really instrumental. Sure. I mean, the the Bible, first and foremost, has been the most instrumental, but from a nonfiction kind of self-help, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield was a book that kind of opened my eyes in a lot of different ways. I'm hearing it more and more, so good recommendation. Right after All It Takes is a Goal. Uh, what movie do you watch over and over again? You're scrolling through the channels it's on. You always stop and take a peek. What's the one? Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting. I grew up in Massachusetts. Um, yeah, for sure. And I went to college in Birmingham, Alabama, and I watched that movie alone three or four times in the theaters because it made me feel like I was back home with all my townie well, friends. Well, as an Irishman, and uh, so many of them ended up in that part of the world, I always, oh, yeah. you know, how do you like them apples? Yeah, yeah, Southie, Southie, of course. Last but not least, what does the good life mean to John Acuff? Uh, the good life to me uh, means a full life. Uh, where I've got a wife uh, who loves me and feels loved. I've got kids who, as they get older, want to spend time with me when they don't have to. Um, I've got a business I'm proud to be a part of. And I've got a health that will allow me to sustain all of those things for a long time. Well, well said. As you do very well. You say a lot of things very well, my friend. And uh, one of the great writers of this kind of content, this genre of content in the marketplace you really have a great head for it. You have a great heart for it. I've been around the block a long time and featured lots and lots of books and authors and speakers. You really do a fabulous job. And so we're very honored to have had you today. Can't wait to see you at the Peak Experience. Our audience there is in for a treat. The name of the book is All It Takes is a Goal. And uh, all it takes is you to go order it, read it, and then put it into practice. I think your life will be better. So thanks for joining us today, John. It's been beautiful. Thanks for having me, Brian. It was great to see you. And as we finish up today, we'll finish up with the immortal words of my 93-year-old mother, Therese Buffini, the great all it takes is a goal. She's been pushing me into goals since the day I arrived on this planet. And she has a little blessing for all of us today. Enjoy her little blessing. I hope you enjoyed this call. I hope you listen to it many times. Get a copy of that book and start taking those goals a little bit more seriously. We'll see you next time. May the road rise up to meet you. And may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. Mm-hmm.